Chapter Seventeen of Captain Jim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Captain Jim, by Mary Grant Bruce. Chapter Seventeen, Lights Out. There was two of every single thing in the ark," said Geoffrey firmly. The man in church read it out of the Bible. Two teddy bears?" asked Alison. No, teddies are only toys. There was real bears, though. Meat ones? asked his sister hopefully. Yes, and all the other animals. Who drived them in? Old Noah and Mrs. Noah. Mustn't they have had a time? If you tried to drive in our turkeys and sheep, and cows together, there'd be awful trouble. And Noah had lions and tigers, and snakes too. Perhaps he had good sheep dogs, Norah suggested. She was sewing with Mrs. Hunt under a tree on the lawn, while the children played with Noah's ark on a short-legged table near them. He'd need them, Geoffrey said. But would sheep dogs be any good at driving snakes and porcel pines, Nora? Noah's might have been, Nora answered prudently. They must have been used to it, you see, and I believe a good sheep dog would get used to anything. Funny things all Noah and his family wore, said Geoffrey, looking at Jaffet with disfavour like dressing-gowns, only worse. Wouldn't have been much good for looking after animals in. Why, even the land army girls wear trousers now. Well, fashions were different then, said Mrs. Hunt. Perhaps, too, they took off the dressing-gowns when they got inside the ark, and had trousers underneath. Where'd they keep all the food for the animals anyhow? Geoffrey demanded. They'd want such a lot, and it would have to be all different sorts of food. Tigers wouldn't eat vegetables, like rabbits. And Ephelons would eat buns, said Alison anxiously. Did Mrs. Noah make em buns? She couldn't, silly, unless she had a gas stove, said Geoffrey. They couldn't carry firewood as well. I say, mother, don't you think the Ark must have had a supply ship following round, like the Navy has? It isn't mentioned, said Mrs. Hunt. I say, said Geoffrey, struck by a new idea that put aside the question of supply. Just fancy if a submarine had torpedoed the Ark. Wouldn't it have been exciting? Let's do it in the bath, said Alison delightedly. All right, Geoffrey said. May we, mother? Oh, yes, if you don't get too wet, his mother said resignedly. They can all swim. That's a comfort. We'll muster them, said Geoffrey, bundling the animals into a heap. Hand over that bird, Alison. I say, mother. Which came first, a fowl or an egg? Mrs. Hunt sighed. 
it isn't mentioned, she said. Which do you think? Fell, I expect, answered her son. I think, I think it was the egg, said Alison. How would it be hatched if it was, silly? demanded her brother. They didn't have ink, ink, inklibators then. Alison puckered her brows and remained undefeated. Perhaps Adam sat on it, she suggested. I cannot imagine Adam being broody, said Mrs. Hunt. Well, anyhow, he hatched out Eve, said Geoffrey. No one ventured to combat this statement, and the children formed themselves into a stretcher party, bearing the ark and its contents upon a tray in the direction of the bathroom. "'Aren't they darlings?' Nora said, laughing. "'Look at that Michael!' Michael was toddling behind the stretcher party, as fast as his fat legs would permit, uttering short and sharp shrieks of anguish lest he should be forgotten. Geoffrey gave the order, "'Halt!' and the ark and its bearers came to a standstill. "'Come along, kid,' said the commanding officer. "'You can be the band.' The procession was reformed with Michael in the lead, tooting proudly on an imaginary bugle. They disappeared within the house. "'They are growing so big and strong,' said Mrs. Hunt thankfully. "'Michael can't wear any of the things that fitted Jeff at his age. "'As for Alison, nothing seems to fit her for more than a month or two. "'Then she gracefully bursts out of her garments. "'As for Jeff, "'But he is getting really too independent. "'He went off by himself to the village yesterday, "'and I found him playing football behind one of the cottages "'with a lot of small boys.' "'Oh, did you?' Nora said, looking a little worried. "'We heard just before I came over this morning "'that there is a case of fever in the village. "'Some travelling tinker people seem to have brought it. "'Dad said I must tell you we had better not let the children go down there for the present. "'There were some gypsy-looking boys among the crowd that Jeff was playing with,' "'Mrs. Hunt said anxiously.' I do hope he hasn't run any risk. He's wearing the same clothes, too. I'll take them off him and have him washed. She gathered up her sewing hurriedly. But I think Jeff is strong enough now to resist any germ. Oh, of course he is, Nora answered. Still, it doesn't do any harm to take precautions. I'll come and help you, Mrs. Hunt. Geoffrey congenially employed as a submarine commander about to torpedo the ark, was distinctly annoyed at being reduced to a mere small boy, and an unclad one at that. "'I don't see why you want to undress me in the middle of the morning,' he said, wriggling out of his blue jersey. "'And it isn't washing day, either. And Alison and Michael'll go and sink the ark without me if you don't hurry.' "'I won't let them, Jeff,' Nora reassured him. "'I'm an airship commander, cruising round over the submarine, "'and she doesn't dare to show so much as the tip of her periscope. 
Of course, when her captain comes back, he'll know what to do. Rather, said the captain, wriggling this time in ecstasy. I'll just put up my anti-aircraft gun and blow the old airship to smithereens. Alison uttered a howl. Won't have Nora made into smithereens. Don't you worry, darling. I'll dodge, said Nora. Michael, what are you doing with Mrs. Noah? Not want my dear ickle Mrs. Noah drowned, said Michael, conceding the lady yet more securely in his tiny pocket. She good. Michael loves her. Oh, rubbish, Michael. Put her back in the ark, said Geoffrey wrathfully. However can we have a proper submarining if you go and colour half the things? Never coloured nothing, said Michael, unmoved. Only took to my dear eagle Mrs. Noah. Never mind, Jeff. He's only a small boy, Mrs. Hunt said. Isn't a small boy, protested Michael furiously. Daddy said I was enormous. So you are, best beloved, laughed Nora, catching him up. Now the submarine commander has on clean clothes, and you'd better get ready to go on duty. Geoffrey dashed back to the bath with a shout of defiance to the airship, and the destruction of the ark proceeded gaily. There, said Mrs. Hunt, putting Geoffrey's garments into a tub. It's just as well to have them washed but I really don't think there's any need to worry. I don't think you need, indeed, said Nora, laughing, as a medley of sound came from the bathroom. It was an off day for Nora. With Mr. Lyle she had potted and preserved every variety of food that would lend itself to such treatment, and now the working season was almost over. For the first time the home for tired people had not many inmates. Owing to the fact that leave had been stopped for several men at the front who had arranged to spend their holiday at Homewood. They had with them an elderly colonel and his wife, Harry Trevor and another Australian, a silent major who played golf every hour of daylight and read golf literature during the other part of the day and a couple of sappers on final leave after recovering from wounds. Today the colonel and his wife had gone up to London. The others, with the exception of Major Mackay, who, as usual, might be seen afar upon the links, had gone with Mr. Linton to a sale where he hoped to secure some unusually desirable pigs. The sappers, happy in ignorance, promised themselves much enjoyment in driving them home. Left alone, therefore, Nor had gone for the day to Mrs. Hunt, ostensibly to improve her French and needlework, but in reality to play with the babies. Just how much the Hunt babies had helped her, only Nora herself knew. I'm asked to a festivity the day after tomorrow, Mrs. Hunt said that afternoon. They were having tea in the pleasant sitting-room of the cottage. Sounds from the kitchen indicated that Eva was giving her a celebrated performance of a grizzly bear for the benefit of the children. 
the performance always ended with a hunt, and with the slaying of the quarry by Geoffrey, after which the bear expired with lingering and unpleasant details. Douglas's colonel is in London on leave, and he and his wife have asked me to dine and go to a theatre afterwards. It would mean staying in London that night, of course. So of course you'll go. I should love to go, Mrs. Hunt admitted. It would be jolly in itself, and then I should hear something about Douglas, and all he ever tells me about himself might be put on a field postcard. If the babies are quite well, Nora, do you think you would mind taking charge? Nora laughed. She had occasionally come to sleep at the cottage during a brief absence on Mrs. Hunt's part, and liked nothing better. I should love to come, she said, but you'd better not put it that way, or Eva will be dreadfully injured. I don't, to Eva, smiled Mrs. Hunt. She thinks you come over in case she should need anyone to run an errand, and therefore permits herself to adore you. In fact, she told me yesterday that for a young lady you had an uncommon amount of sense. Jim would have said that was as good as a diploma, Nora said, laughing. I rather think so myself, Mrs. Hunt answered. What about Wally, Nora? Have you heard lately? Yesterday, Nora replied. He decorated his letter with beautiful people using pen-wipers, so I suppose he is near Ypres. He says he's very fit, but the fighting seems very stiff. I'm not happy about Wally. Do you think he isn't well? I don't think his mind is well, said Nora. He was better here before he went back, and now that he is out again I believe he just can't bear being without Jim. He can't think of him happily, as we do. He only fights his trouble, and hates himself for being alive. He doesn't say so in words, but when you know Wally as well as Dad and I do, you can tell from his letters. He used to write such cheery, funny letters, and now he deliberately tries to be funny, and it's pretty terrible. She paused and suddenly a little sob came. Mrs. Hunt stroked her hand, saying nothing. "'Do you know,' Nora said presently, "'I think we have lost Wally more than Jim. Jim died, but a real Jim is ever close in our hearts, and we never let him go, and we can talk and laugh about him, just as if he was here.' But the real Wally seems to have died altogether, and we've only the shell left. Something in him died when he saw Jim killed. Mrs. Hunt, do you think he'll ever be better? I think he will, Mrs. Hunt said. He is too fine and plucky to be always like this. You have to remember that he is only a boy that he had the most terrible shock that could come to him. It must take time to recover. I know, Nora said. I try to think like that, but it hurts so that one can't help him. 
we would do anything to make him feel better. And you will, in time. Remember, you and your father are more to him than anyone else in the world. Make him feel you want him. I think nothing else can help him so much. Mrs. Hunt's eyes were full of tears. He was such a merry lad. It breaks one's heart to think of him as he is. He was always the cheerfulest person I ever saw, said Nora. He just laughed through everything. I remember once when he was bitten by a snake, and it was hours before we could get a doctor. We were nearly mad with anxiety, and he was in horrible pain with the tourniquet. But he joked through it all in the most ridiculous way. And he was always so eager. It's the last thing you could call him now. All the spring has gone out of him. It will come back, Mrs. Hunt said. Only keep on trying. Let him see how much he means to you. Well, he's all we have left, said Nora. There was silence for a moment, and then it was a relief when the children burst into the room. They all went to the station two days later to see Mrs. Hunt off for her excursion. Michael was not to be depended upon to remain brave when a train actually bore his mother away, so they did not wait to see her go. There were errands to be done in the village, and Nora bundled them all into the governess cart, giving Geoffrey the reins to his huge delight. He turned his merry face to his mother. "'Good-bye, darling. Take care of yourself in London town.' "'I will,' said his mother. "'Might you take care of all the family. You're in charge, you know, Jeff.' "'Rather,' he said. "'I'm G.O.C., and they've got to do what I tell them, haven't they? "'And, mother, tell the Colonel to send father home.' Then you won't be G.O.C., said Nora. Don't want to be if father comes, said Geoffrey, his eyes dancing. You'll tell him, won't you, mother? Indeed I will, she said. Now off you go. Don't put the card into the ditch, Geoff. Isn't you insulting, said her son loftily. But women's don't understand. He elevated his nose, and then relented to fling her kisses as the pony trotted off. Mrs. Hunt stood at the station entrance to watch him for a moment, sitting very straight and stiff, holding his whip at the precise angle taught by Jones. It was such a heartsome sight that the incoming train took her by surprise, and she had barely time to get her ticket and rush for a carriage. Nora and her charges found so much to do in the village that when they reached home it was time for Michael's morning sleep. Eva brooked no interference with her right of tucking him up for this period of peace, but graciously permitted Nora to inspect the process and kissed a rosy cheek peeping from the blankets. Then Alison and Geoffrey accompanied her to the house and visited Miss Delisle in her kitchen 
finding her by a curious chance just removing from the oven a batch of tiny cakes of bewildering attractions norah lost them afterwards and going to look for them was guided by sound to allenby's pantry where that most correct of butlers was found on his hands and knees being fiercely ridden by both his visitors when it was very pleasant to behold allenby's frantic endeavours to get to his feet before norah should discover him and yet to avoid upsetting his riders then they called upon mr linton in his study but finding him for once inaccessible being submerged beneath accounts and cheque-books they fell back upon the billiard-room where harry trevor and bob mcgrath his chum welcomed them with open arms and romped with them until it was time for norah to take them home to dinner awful jolly kids said harry why don't you keep them here for lunch norah eva would be terribly hurt said norah she always cooks everything they like best when mrs hunt is away quite regardless of their digestions well can't they come back afterwards let's all go for a walk somewhere oh do pleaded geoffrey could we go to the river norah yes of course said norah will it be too far for alison though not it she walked there with father when he was home last year do let's then we must hurry said norah come along or eva will think we have deserted her they found eva slightly truculent i was wondering was you staying over there to dinner she said i know i ain't one of your fine lady cooks with a name at a family herald but there ain't no harm in that there potato pie for all that it looks beautiful said norah regarding the brown pie affectionately i'm so glad i'm here for lunch what does michael have eva michael has fish and he has it out in the kitchen with me said eva firmly and his own little baby custard pudding no one but me ever cooks anything for that kid well of course you sent him cakes and things she added grudgingly oh but they're not nourishment said norah with tact no said eva brightening that's what i say and nourishment is what counts ain't it oh rather norah said and isn't he a credit to you well come on children i want pie she drew alison's high chair to the table while eva departing to the kitchen relieved her feelings with a burst of song they spent a merry afternoon at the river a little stream which went gurgling over pebbly shallows widening now and then into a broad pool or hurrying over miniature rapids where brown trout lurked harry and bob like most australian soldiers in england were themselves only children when they had the chance of playing with babies they romped in the grass with them swung them on low-growing boughs or skimmed stones across placid pools until the sun grew low in the west 
and they came back across the park. Norah wheeled Michael in a tiny car, Bob carried Alison, and presently Geoffrey admitted that his legs were tired, and was glad to ride home astride Harry's broad shoulders. Mr. Linton came out to meet them, and they all went back to the cottage, where Eva had tea ready, and was slightly aggrieved because her scones had cooled. "'Now, you must all go home,' Nora told her men-folk after tea. "'It's late, and I have to bathe three people.' "'Don't we see you again?' Harry asked. "'You may come over to-night, if you like. Dad is coming,' Nora said. "'Jeff, you haven't finished, have you?' "'I don't think I'm very hungry,' Geoffrey said. "'May I go and shut up my guinea-pigs?' "'Yes, of course. "'Alison, darling, I don't think you ought to have any more cakes.' "'I always has free for leaven when Mother is at home,' said Alison firmly, annexing a chocolate cake, and digging her little white teeth into it in the hope of averting any further argument. "'Michael doesn't want more.' He had Jeff's. Jeff's? But didn't Jeff eat any? Jeff's silly tonight, said his sister. Fancy not being hungry when there was chocolate cakes. I hope he didn't get too tired, Nora said to herself anxiously. I'll hurry up and get them all to bed. She bathed Michael and Alison with Eva in attendance and tucked them up. They were very sleepy, too sleepy to be troubled that Mother was not there to kiss them good-night. Indeed, as Nora bent over Michael, he thought she was his mother, and murmured, Mum, Mum, in the dusk, in a little contented voice. Nora put her cheek down to the rose leaf for one moment, and then hurried out. Jeff, where are you, Jeff? "'I'm here,' said Geoffrey, from the back doorstep. He rose and came towards her slowly. Something in his face made her vaguely uneasy. "'Ready for bed, old chap?' she asked. "'Come on, are you tired?' "'My legs are tired,' Geoffrey said. "'And my head's queer. It keeps turning round.' He put out a little appealing hand and Nora took it in her own. It was burning hot. "'I... I wish Mother was home,' the boy said. Nora sat down and took him on her knee. He put his head against her. "'You must just let old Nora look after you until Mother comes back,' she said gently. The memory of the fever in the village came back to her, and she turned sick with fear. For a moment she thought desperately of what she must do, both for Geoffrey and for the other children. "'I won't bathe Master Jeff. He is tired,' she said to Eva. She carried the little fellow into his room and slipped off his clothes. He turned in the cool sheets thankfully. "'Lie still, old man. I'll be back in a moment,' Nora said. She went out and called to Eva. 
reflecting with relief that the girl's hard cockney sense was not likely to fail her. Eva, she said, I'm afraid Master Jeff is ill. You know there is fever in the village, and I think he has it. I mustn't go near anyone, because I've been looking after him. Run over to the house and tell Mr. Linton I would like him to come over as quickly as possible. Don't frighten him. Right-o, said Eva. I won't be our a tick. Her flying feet thudded across the grass as Nora went back to the room, where Geoffrey was already sleeping heavily. She looked down at the little face, flushed and dry, in her heart an agony of dread for the mother, away at her party in London. Then she went outside to wait for her father. He came quickly, accompanied by Miss Delisle and Harry Trevor. "'I telephoned for the doctor directly I got your message,' he said. "'He'll be up in a few minutes.' "'Thank goodness,' said Nora. "'Of course it may not be the fever, but it's something queer.' "'The little chap wasn't all right down at the river,' Harry said. "'Only he kept going. He's such a plucky kid. "'But he sat jolly quiet on me coming home.' "'I knew he was quiet. I just thought he was a bit tired,' Nora said. "'I say, Daddy, what about the other children?' "'What about you?' he asked. His voice was hard with anxiety. "'Me?' said Nora, staring. "'Why, of course I must stay with him, Dad. He's in my charge.' "'Yes, I suppose you must,' said David Linton heavily. We'll find out from the doctor what precautions can be taken. Oh, I'll be all right, Nora said. But Alison and Michael mustn't stay here. No, of course not. Well, they must only come to us. But the tired people, Nora asked. Miss Delisle interposed. There are hardly any now, and two of the boys go away tomorrow, she said. The south wing could be kept entirely for the children, couldn't it, Mr. Linton? Catty could look after them there. They are fond of her. That's excellent, said Mr. Linton. I really think the risk to the house wouldn't be much. Any of the tired people who are worried would simply have to go away. But the children would not come near any of them. And please goodness, they won't develop fever at all. "'Then I'll go back and have a room prepared,' Miss Delisle said. "'And then I'll get you, Mr. Harry, to help me bundle them up and carry them over. "'You mustn't leave them in this place a minute longer than we can help.' "'That lovely fat Michael,' murmured Miss Delisle incoherently. "'She hurried away. "'There was a hum of an approaching motor presently, "'and the doctor's car came up the drive.' Dr. Hall, a middle-aged and overworked man, looking over Geoffrey quickly, and nodded to himself as he tucked his thermometer under the boy's arm. Geoffrey scarcely stirred in his heavy sleep. Fever, of course, said the doctor presently out in the hall. No, I can't say whether he'll be bad or not, Miss Nora. 
we'll do our best not to let him be bad. Mrs. Hunt away, is she? Well, I'll send you up a nurse. Luckily, I've a good one free, and she will bring medicines and will know all I want done. He nodded approval of their plans for Alison and Michael. Mr. Linton accompanied him to his car. "'Get your daughter away as soon as you can,' the doctor said. "'It's a beastly species of fever. I'd like to hang those tinkers. The child in the village died this afternoon.' "'You don't say so,' Mr. Linton exclaimed. "'Yes, very bad case from the first. Fine boy, too.' "'but he didn't call me in time. "'Well, this village had forgotten all about fever.' "'He jumped into the car. "'I'll be up in the morning,' he said, "'and whirred off into the darkness. "'Alison and Michael, enormously amused "'at what they took to be a new game, "'were presently bundled up in blankets "'and carried across to Homewood, "'and soon a cab trundled up with a brisk, capable-looking nurse, who at once took command in Geoffrey's room. "'I don't think you should stay,' she said to Nora. "'The maid and I can do everything for him, and his mother will be home to-morrow. A good hot bath, with some disinfectant in it, here. Then leave all your clothes here that you've worn near the patient, and run home in fresh things. No risk for you, then.' "'I couldn't leave Jeff,' Nora said. "'Of course I won't interfere with you, "'but his mother left him to me while she was away, "'and he might ask for me.' "'Well, it's only for your own sake I was advising you,' said the nurse. "'What do you think, Mr. Linton?' "'I think she ought to stay,' said Mr. Linton shortly, "'with fear tugging at his heart as he spoke.' Just make her take precautions, if there are any. But the child comes first. He was left in our care. He went away soon, holding Nora very tightly to him for a moment, and then the nurse sent Nora to bed. There's nothing for you to do, she said. I shall have a sleep near the patient. But you'll call me if he wants me. Yes, I promise. Now, be off with you. At the moment, Nora did not feel as though she could possibly sleep, but very soon her eyes grew heavy and she dozed off to dream, as she often dreamt that she and Jim were riding over the far plain of Billabong, bringing in a mob of wild young bullocks. The cattle had never learned to drive and broke back constantly towards the shelter of the timber behind them. There was one big red beast in particular that would not go quietly. She had half a dozen gallops after him in her dream, with Boston under her swinging and turning with every movement of the bullocks, and finally heading him, wheeling him, and galloping him to the mob. Then another broke away and Jim shouted to her across the paddock, "'Nora! Nora!' She woke with a start. A voice was calling her name, hoarsely. She groped for her dressing-gown and slippers, and ran to Geoffrey's room. 
The nurse, also in her dressing-gown, was bending over the bed. "'You're quick,' she said approvingly. "'He only called you once. Take this now, Sonny.' "'Nora!' She bent down to him, taking the hot hand. "'I'm here, Jeff, old man. Take your medicine.' "'All right,' said Geoffrey. He gulped it down obediently and lay back. Will mother come? Very soon now, Nora said. You know she had to be in London, just for one night. She'll be back tomorrow. It's nearly tomorrow now, the nurse said. Not far off morning. That's nice, the child said. Stay with me, Nora. Of course I will, old man. Just shut your eyes and go to sleep. I won't go away. She knelt by his bed, patting him gently, until his deep breaths told that sleep had come to him again. The nurse touched her shoulder and pointed to the door. She got up softly and went out, looking through her open window at the first streaks of dawn in the east. Her dream was still vivid in her mind. Even over her anxiety for the child in her care came the thought of it, and the feeling that Jim was very near now. Jim, she whispered, gazing at the brightening sky. In Germany, at that moment, two hunted men were facing dawn, running wildly, in dread of the coming daylight. But of that Nora knew nothing. The Jim she saw was the big, clean-limbed boy with whom she had ridden so often at Billabong. It seemed to her that his laughing face looked at her from the rose and gold of the eastern sky. Then Geoffrey turned and called to her, and she went to him swiftly. It was four days later. Mother! Jeffrey's voice was only a thread of sound now. Will father come? I have sent for him, little son. He will come if he can. That's nice. Where's Nora? I'm here, sweetheart. Nora took the wasted hand in hers, holding it gently. Try to go to sleep. Don't go away, Jeffrey murmured. I'm awfully sleepy. He half turned, nestling his head into his mother's arm. Across the bed the mother's haggard eyes met Nora's, but hope had almost died from them. If he lives through the night, there's a chance, the doctor said to David Linton. But he's very weak, poor little chap. An awful pity, such a jolly kid, too and all through two abominable families of tinkers. However, there are no fresh cases. Can you do nothing more for Geoffrey? The doctor shook his head. I've done all that can be done. If his strength holds out, there is a bare chance. Would it be any good to get in another nurse? Mr. Linton asked. I'm afraid of the mother and Nora breaking down. If they do, 
we shall have to get someone else, the doctor answered. But they wouldn't leave him. Neither of them has had any sleep to speak of since the boy was taken ill. Nora is as bad as Mrs. Hunt. The nurse says that even if they are asleep, they hear Geoffrey if he whispers. I'll come again after a while, Mr. Linton. He hurried away, and David Linton went softly into the little thatched cottage. Dusk was stealing into Geoffrey's room. The blind fluttered gently in the evening breeze. Mrs. Hunt was standing by the window, looking down at the boy, who lay sleeping, one hand in that of Nora, who knelt by the bed. She smiled up at her father. Mrs. Hunt came softly across the room and drew him out into the passage. "'He may be better if he sleeps,' she said. "'He has hardly had any real sleep since he was taken ill.' "'Poor little man!' David Linton's voice was very gentle. "'He's putting up a good fight, Mrs. Hunt.' "'Oh, he's so good!' The mother's eyes filled with tears. "'He does everything we tell him. "'You know he fought us a bit at first, "'and then we told him he was on parade "'and we were the officers, "'and he has done everything in soldier fashion since.' I think he even tried to take his medicine smartly, until he grew too weak. But he never sleeps more than a few moments, unless he can feel one of us. It doesn't seem to matter whether it's Nora or me. Geoffrey stirred, and they heard Nora's low voice. Go to sleep, old chap. It's lights out, you know. Mustn't wake up until reveille. "'Has last post gone?' Geoffrey asked feebly. "'Oh, yes, all the camp is going to sleep.' "'Is father?' "'Yes. Now, you must go to sleep with him the whole night long.' "'Stay close,' Geoffrey whispered. His weak little fingers drew her hand against his face. Then no sound came but fitful breathing. The dark filled the little room. Presently the nurse crept in with a shaded lamp and touched Nora's shoulder. "'You could get up,' she whispered. Nora shook her head, pointing to the thin fingers curled in her palm. "'I'm all right,' she murmured back. They came and went in the room from time to time, the mother holding her breath as she looked down at the quiet face, the nurse with her keen professional gaze. After a while the doctor stood for a long time behind her, not moving. Then he bent down to her. "'Sure you're all right?' Nora nodded. Presently he crept out, and soon the nurse came and sat down near the window. "'Mrs. Hunt has gone to sleep.' she whispered as she passed. Nora was vaguely thankful for that, but nothing was very clear to her except Geoffrey's face. Neither the slow passing of the hours nor her own cramped position had gradually became pain. Geoffrey's face and the light breathing that grew harder 
and harder to bear. Fear came and knelt beside her in the stillness, and the night crept on. End of chapter 17